Hello, 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 and welcome to another week's episode of Not D&D. As always, I'm your host, Jessica, and this week, a little antagonistically, I am joined by James. James, thanks so much for joining us. Don't worry, I'll pretend to be nice. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to people. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on uh, to talk and, you know, share your game with us. So um, the game we're going to be talking about this week is called uh, Antagonist, not me just being unnecessarily hostile to James there, to me trying to be funny. Um, if you have any questions uh, about the game and you're watching us live, please feel free to pop it in the chat and we'll do our best to answer live on the show. Uh, and we'll talk through this awesome world that you can see the map of there as we go through. And if you're listening to the podcast, we'll have any links to anything we're talking about in the show notes as well um so james before we dive into the game i always talk about you and and your background with games um so what uh big question is always what's your first role-playing game you remember playing uh well so the first role-playing game i played wasn't the first role-playing game i saw i saw some kids in my middle school playing dungeons and dragons i thought that was the greatest thing in the world Mm -hmm. but i didn't know what it was i wasn't Mm -hmm. playing it i didn't even know the name of the game so okay. I went home and uh, made my own role-playing game and mm-hmm. <laughs> played it with my brother. Uh, it was kind of nice. based off of uh, Final Fantasy, the, the old Nintendo game. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that was technically the first uh, role-playing game I played. And eventually uh, I got in good with the kids that were playing D&D because they were the cool kids at my middle school. And uh, <laughs> The cool kids were the D&D players? That's, that's not a classic story, but there you go. Yeah. So, uh, and I eventually like bought some old D&D books at a used bookstore because, Mm -hmm. you know, my funds were limited. So I got whatever I could and uh, started playing that. So it would have been, uh, it was a used bookstore. So it was Mm -hmm. an old edition. Uh, It was Advanced Dungeons Dragons, the first one. So proper classic then. Amazing. So it sounds like you've been, so the first game you played was when you wrote and designed yourself. Um, yep. So it seems quite natural that you now <laughs> write and design games. Um, so obviously the writer of Antagonist, how did how did you, well, yeah, like I said, you've been doing it from the very beginning, but how did you decide you wanted to kind of write and create games? What did that, what did that look like for you? Um, so I've been doing this forever, but the, the role-playing game I told you about wasn't the first game I created. The first game okay. I created was back in second grade where I decided to redesign uh, Tag. Right, okay. What uh, changes did you make, if you can remember? Um, My dad's a biochemist, so mm-hmm. he would walk me to school every day and tell me about mm-hmm. various things. And one of the things he told me about was how the human body works. So I made a mm-hmm. version of Tag that emulated fighting off disease uh, <laughs> in the body. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and... Uh, I got a lot of positive feedback on that when I ran into some kids and I was trying to teach them to play the game and they told me they already knew they had played it at some kid's birthday party. I didn't even know this kid. So you were already a famous game designer? On the playground, yeah. <laughs> in certain <laughs> middle school and junior circles. Very famous. Okay, amazing. But sorry, I keep interrupting you. So you've, you've always been playing games from, from tag to, to role-playing games. Yeah. So uh, when did you so... start in, in earnest? Yeah. Uh, this antagonist was the first game that I really designed from scratch mm-hmm. with my own system. Uh, I did some experimentation with other games to see if my ideas that I was going to use for this one were going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I just started writing it, revising it, writing it, revising it. And this was uh, the first one that I went all the way to the end with. Mm-hmm. Is that in this? Uh, so, I mean, let's, we're, we're pretty much there. We segued very nicely into just like talking about the game. So, uh, if people haven't heard of Antagonist, how do you introduce it to people? What's the like, you know, elevator pitch for the game? Um, there's two I use. Uh, okay. One is I wanted, when I very first came up with the game, I wanted to design a game where the players would be allowed to lose without dying, without starting over new characters. Okay, yeah, sounds so good. So for that, I needed uh, a type of conflict that the game handles that doesn't end in death necessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the game, uh, so I moved the game more into kind of the political and economic area of conflict. Mm-hmm. Where people, you know, are playing characters that are, courtiers or merchants trying to make it in a very hostile world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after I came up with that idea, I was like, well, what would be a fun way to do this? Um, It's not fun to be the hero merchant doing all these underhanded economic maneuvers to like manage their shop or take out the competition. So it was like, the players are going to be the antagonists. And that's where the idea for the game came. And hence the title of the game as well, very fittingly. So, what sort of characters are we um, are we are we playing in the, in this world? So, are we we're playing the bad guys? Is that right? Uh, so originally, I was going to make uh, the player characters the bad guys, and then there were these mm-hmm. other good guys, and they they clash. Um, I moved a little away from that. You can still mm-hmm. play that sort of game, but sure. I set the game in kind of a dystopian empire. You know, the the evil emperor has taken over most of the continent Mm -hmm. and you operate as not one of his minions, but you're in his empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you earn your bread by doing as well. So you're you're just following orders. Is that sort of vibe? Something like that. (laughs) Okay, Um, okay. Except a lot more opportunistic because it's not fun to follow orders. It's fun to look for holes in the system that you can take advantage of. So you're operating as these people in this evil Mm -hmm. empire, everybody around you aren't, they aren't nice people either for the most part. Uh, And you're kind of all at each other's throats, but at the same time, there's also this other, and I made them kind of the uh, good guys, the, the people that are being conquered. They're, they're, more morally upright usually at least how the game is initially written uh mm-hmm. and so you have to deal with the fact that everybody around you is uh trying to take your stuff or mm-hmm. and you're trying to take theirs but in okay. addition there's this external force that's threatening you to disrupt your way of life oh well tell us tell us a bit more about the world so if if people watching the video they can see the map uh that we've got here which is the the world uh, that the game is setting so so talk us through that a little bit okay so ancient history in the world uh bunch of city states none of them could interact uh reason being uh the fey who were kind mm-hmm. of the big big bads at the time uh ran the wilderness so you didn't mm-hmm. go out into the wilderness unless you were very prepared and the city-states could not establish trade routes, they couldn't talk to each other, they couldn't interact. So they were all isolated. Mm -hmm. Uh, At some point, uh, an explorer who I based kind of on a mixture of Cortez and uh, Ponce de Leon, the guy that was looking for the 
fountain of life, uh-huh. fountain of youth, um, proposed to his king. You know, he 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 was based in this little city state, kind of close to these mountains over here, uh, and he said, you know, I think I've found the ancient fountain of life in these ancient tombs. Uh, fund an exploration for me to go look for it. And the king was getting on in these years, and he did. And uh, the explorer went off to look for this fountain. He came back 20 years. Um, so I said I based him a little bit on Cortez. He found kind of the uh, equivalent to the Aztec civilization on the other side of the mountains. He okay. found the fountain of youth as well. And he, instead of uh, conquering the Aztecs, he cut a deal with them and took their armies back to conquer his own kingdom. Okay, great. Okay. So a little twist on that. And then from the there, topic. he's been expanding steadily over hundreds of years because he's now immortal, uh, his empire. And he's kind of pushed all of these city-states that couldn't interact. They couldn't build mm-hmm. armies. They just were on their own. He's sure. pushed them all uh, kind of the, to the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. So you operate in this empire that's kind of just on the verge of conquering the world. And uh, that's when magical gunpowder gets invented by your enemies, the the good guys. Okay, so they've got gunpowder and weapons uh, on their side, but, but we don't have that technology yet. Correct. The, the empire okay. does not. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like a pretty dangerous world then. So, uh, but these characters, um, if we talk a bit about kind of character creation, roles and archetypes, just to just to understand uh, if we jump into this game, into this world, who the people we're going to be playing, who the, who are they? So what sort of different roles and archetypes do we have in, in the game? Okay. Um, so there aren't traditional classes, but there are backgrounds and they kind okay. of dictate how you progress a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much in what abilities you get, but how easy it is to gain new abilities. So anybody okay. can learn any ability, but it's easier for certain backgrounds to learn certain abilities than others, or okay. to get good at them at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you pick your backgrounds, uh, you get kind of three points, and you can spend all three points on like a big background, like being a wizard, or you can spend okay. one point at a time with little backgrounds. Like I was a peasant for 10 years and then another point for, um, I, uh, I was a huntsman after that. Okay. And all of these have uh, some effects on how you progress. Mm-hmm. As far as your roles go, um, as I said, anybody can do anything. Some people are better at certain things than others, but uh, the roles are kind of split up into uh, people that focus on the personal themselves, people mm-hmm. that focus on uh, resources, uh, the economic, and people that focus on uh, kind of the social and political aspects of the world. Okay. And a group of player characters will often have people that focus on uh, one group, one thing or the other, or they'll split their focus between two of them. Okay. You can't really be good at all three, though. Okay. So you need to, to assemble a, almost a team of people, a party, if you will, to, to achieve everything you need to. Yep. Great. So what goes, uh, so, we, so we pick our backgrounds for character creation and that indicates different skills and things like that. You did mention the wizard. So I wanted to talk about the role of, of magic in this world. So what you've mentioned the fae as well. So what does magic look like every day in the world? Is it like very present or is it rare or, or what style of you know magic there is in the world? That's what I'm trying to ramble really? off. <laughs> in the empire, I based it a lot on medieval mm-hmm. Europe, so mm-hmm. Spain specifically. And mm-hmm. uh, 
the peasant folk, most of the world is very superstitious against magic. So if okay. you are magically capable you and you use your powers in public, you're going to get some uh, pushback. Mm -hmm. uh, because the empire is so big, it's actually split into regions. And in some regions, it's illegal outright. Oh, okay. Oh, right. okay. In other regions, it's just frowned upon. Some regions, they've kind of embraced it a little more. Uh, and, you know, powerful nobles employ wizards. But generally, magic is rare and not accepted in the empire. Uh, and the reason okay. for this is because the Fey are kind of the traditional enemies of the empire. Originally, all the city-states were separated because of the Fey. Mm -hmm. The empire needs to, you know, talk to each other. So they needed to basically clear out the Fey. And okay. so all of the, this magic was kind of, they were at war with it for a long time. Okay, that makes sense why them being the wizard is like a big point by background because it's like you've probably had to invest a lot into having this ability and it's a big part of who your character is then. So, okay, that yeah, makes sense. One of the, the, the main special ability of the wizard is mm -hmm. uh, you are allowed to cast magic. You get that special ability. Regardless of the laws of the nation, uh, you have special provisions that allow you to use your magic. Well... That's good. So you're not having to run around and hide constantly. So that's that's good to know. Um, so in terms of the game, it, if, if you were to give an overview of the system, so say somebody's like either new to role playing games or like they maybe they've just played like D&D &D 5e and they're coming to play this game. How do the rules mechanically work? What's kind of what, what are we actually doing when we're sat at the table? OK, um, so the dice mechanic is pretty simple. Mm -hmm. uh, you play with 3d10. You never use more or less than that. Well, okay. I should say you never use more than that. Okay. Uh, and everything you do, you're going to roll your 3d10, and you usually are going to add an attribute to each of your dice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a different attribute. Sometimes it's the same attribute all across. Like if you're pushing a boulder, you might add your brawn to every single die. Sure. Uh, if you're arguing with someone, you might have... Uh, a variety of attributes that are involved in how good your argument is. Mm -hmm. So you'll add different ones to each die. Sure. Uh, each die will, you're going to have a target number and each die will either hit that target number or not. So sure. you basically have four options. You could fail completely, not hit your target number on any three of your three dice. Okay. You could get a partial success if you hit your target number once. A normal mm -hmm. success is twice. And uh, if you roll all three, it's a critical success. Perfect. We like those when they when they can happen. <laughs> so, what made you choose um, kind of D10s for it? Because there's there's a few systems that use kind of D10s, and like I think that's World of Darkness that comes to mind immediately. So, what kind of effect does that have on the feel of the game using kind of your D10s opposed to like a D20 or a different dice? Uh, it was just a math reason. It's okay. really easy to calculate probabilities on a D10. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I have I have uh, some alternate rules if you want to use other uh, dice. Like mm -hmm. uh, if you know you're new to role playing and all you've got is your monopoly dice, I've got ways to roll, use d sixes, and oh, you just okay, you just lower the target number by two, and you can okay. use your d sixes instead of your d tens. But oh, d tens okay. are nice and easy to calculate your probability. You know um, if you have a three in 10 chance of succeeding on each die, you've got a 30% chance. 
Okay, amazing. Um, so one of the things that we kind of talked about in the game that was really different that stood out to me um, was um, you mentioned like a political combat system or like alternative resolutions to a situation opposed to to, to combat and just fighting in that way. Um, could you talk a little bit about how that works? Okay. Uh, so all the conflict kind of works similarly. It's just that there's uh, three different types of hit points. Mm -hmm. um, there's your health, which if you run out, you're injured, not dead, injured. Um, okay. I originally had it where you die when you run out of health. Um, mm -hmm. Playtesting that uh, tended to happen too suddenly, so I changed I, it. I can imagine. You get you get a few bad dice rolls and, and you're done. And bit, but some systems, that works. Like depends on the story you're trying to tell. Some games, you want it to be, yeah, a few bad dice rolls, you're gone. But maybe not in this. This uh, this seems more like a campaign setting where you have weaving plot lines and, and right. stuff going and on. So because yeah. players have very different strengths, they're necessarily mm -hmm. going to need to be very weak in an area. And it's possible that somebody's mm -hmm. going to come in and take away all of their relevant type of hit points in one or two sure. rolls. And okay. suddenly they're off the table. Mm -hmm. uh, so instead of that, I, I made a wounded ruling. And then you, you don't die until you get negative whatever your hit points are. And then there's three types of hit points. You got your sure. combat hit points and you mm -hmm. take damage normally. Mm -hmm. uh, then your reputation is your social hit points. And when you run out of that, you're right. socially wounded, which has different effects than being physically wounded. But You're not uh, going to get into the, the, the good places. Maybe uh, your name's been taken off a few lists. and uh... Yeah, and uh, you can even end up in jail. If your reputation is damaged oh, okay. enough. Oh, wow. Uh, and then uh, there's also uh, your prosperity, which is your economic hit points. And okay. when you run out of that, you, uh, you're you in a great deal of financial jeopardy. You might have okay. to be making some cuts, firing all your minions, what have you. And there's okay. a fourth type that doesn't come up very often. It's unit cohesion. It's for when you're running like big battles and you have armies fighting, but that's basically the same as health. It's just health for large groups of people. Okay, sure. So if, yeah, so if you're conducting operations and moving, like you say, minions about, it's the rules for how that works, I guess. And right. Fab. Okay, so great. So we have all these different type of hit points and things. So how does um, kind of political combat sort of, sort right. of work? So if, if you're used to just, you know, having combat be I jump in with my dagger and stab it. Like how how do you how do you role play and, and mechanically have a political kind of combat okay. situation? Uh, so um, combat turns in politics occur like once a week. So mm -hmm. you know, in, in normal combat, it's like a few seconds for a sword swing or whatever. In mm -hmm. political combat, you get uh, three action points to spend over the course of a week, mm -hmm. and you might slander your opponent. Uh, you know, going about telling everybody uh, they've done this horrible thing. And you get bonuses mm -hmm. if they've actually done the horrible thing, and you can prove okay. it. It's but true. Yeah, okay. don't have to. You can lie. So like real world uh, politics then? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can undermine <laughs> them where you secretly try and sabotage their reputation or uh, what have you. And you make your role. Uh, you spend some number of action points. It's usually two or three mm -hmm. uh, of your three per week. And you make your roll, and you see how much damage you've done to their reputation. And they might get some sort of protection roll to reduce the mm -hmm. damage. Maybe they don't because they're not important enough. Um, 
and eventually you reduce them down to zero. There's a little bit more mm -hmm. in like how you engage people. Like if everybody is ganging up on the same person, it gets progressively harder mm -hmm. because there's too much noise. Right. Um, so it kind of, I, I didn't want the only good strategy to be dogpiling someone. So sure, yeah. there's kind of an anti-dogpiling rule where people get bonuses to their defense. The more people, the more times they've been attacked in a given way over the course of a week. Fair enough. Maybe they've, they've learned how to, how to combat that then. Yep. And uh, as far as when you say, how do you role play it? Uh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of kind of suggestions for how you mm -hmm. might uh, do one of these maneuvers, like a slander maneuver or an undermine maneuver. And there's kind of a list under the action description, you know, you could do this, you could do this. But really what it is and the way mm -hmm. I run it in, I've run it in the play tests is I ask the players to describe to me what they're going to do. And then I look through the actions and say, well, yeah, that sounds like this action. So make that roll. So I let them role play first and then I figure out what type of action it is afterwards. That's pretty much how I role play any game, especially when I knew and I don't know the rules. I just like whoever's running the game. I'm like, so I want to do this mechanically. How? <laughs> and let them then do that. Um, speaking of the role, kind of of the game master. So we have you mentioned we have different types of players that have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and we had a really great question come in, um, which is how should a game master running uh, this game keep players engaged? Um, when the players are focusing maybe on different, you know, things, there may be one person's very political and doing that sort of combat thing, but someone else is a bit more of like a soldier physical, you know, they're, they're focused in different areas. How do you, how do you keep them all engaged? And maybe is there a way they can interact right. and assist each other? Yeah, that's a really important question because this mm -hmm. kind of game, um, you have people doing very different things. And mm -hmm. the way I tried to address that is to make sure that no matter how bad someone was at something, they could still help out. Okay. Uh, and there's a system for helping uh, somebody do something. And you basically roll against a much lower difficulty. It's much easier. So if your stats are bad in that area, you can mm -hmm. still succeed. And you'll, you'll uh, give them advantage. So you basically describe how you're helping them out. Um, you mm -hmm. spend action points and you take the same action they did, but at a lower difficulty because you're only helping them. You're not initiating anything. And uh, you can kind of, no matter uh, no matter what your role is, you can still pitch in in a different area. Uh, there's also a lot of interacting uh, roles. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, say somebody's making a spy and spies are tend to be more personally focused. They tend to like invest in their personal attributes like strength and speed, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got your politician. Your politician needs your spy to uncover all of your opponent, their opponent's secrets. Okay. So they're gonna get the spy to go out and do something which will prepare them to uh, do their political maneuver. Okay. So it's a lot, it is still, even though they're doing very different things, different skills, it's very much trying to be kind of a collaboration. So that way. Awesome. I hope that, I hope that fully answers the question. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so yeah, so we're talking about political combat systems. Um, what about like other types of combat systems? So what about actually, if I do just want to go and stab someone at some point, how does, how, how does that work again? Um, well, all the combat actually works the same. So once you learn mm -hmm. one combat system, you kind of learn all of them. So say you want to stab somebody, you roll mm -hmm. your three dice. Um, mm -hmm. Your dagger will, you know, require certain 
uh, stats, probably finesse mostly, maybe a little bit of brawn to push it in a little deeper. Mm -hmm. And you'll get some number of successes. Your opponent will, uh, how well they dodge is basically uh, one of their defense types. And uh, you'll roll against that defense type, uh, mm -hmm. count up how many successes, and that's how much damage you do. And if your opponent's wearing armor, they can reduce that damage a little bit. It's a chance. It's not a, it's a, not a flat reduction. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, well, that's good to know. So if, you're, if you play different characters and play it again, you're not going to be totally lost because you're playing a different sort of background or a different sort of angle. So that's that's good to know. Um, in terms of when we've been talking about the game, for me, this feels like something that would be like good for a campaign. Like you want to have stories that like had the seeds of it happen earlier on and then later on it kind of comes back, kind of like an epic Game of Thrones type style thing. Or, you know what I mean? It feels like a large scale kind of campaign game to me. Um, and so that means um, characters over time will learn new skills and grow. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about incentive structures because uh, you mentioned to me before that you have four different incentive structures in the game. Yeah, so that was kind of a late addition. I was mm -hmm. uh, creating the game. I was very near to, you know, my layout artist had already basically mm -hmm. finished 80% of the layout. And I was like, <laughs> I really want to add this this one thing. It'll be super simple. It's just a bunch of text. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because I had been watching a video from Matt Colville uh, on okay. incentive structures. And, uh, he mm -hmm. was describing, basically, you can control the theme of your game just by how you reward your players. And I thought that was the greatest idea ever. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, how many themes do I want in this game? And I decided four. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Talk us through them. Okay. So basically, the incentive structures are an inbuilt different ways to award experience and there are different mm -hmm. reasons to award experience. And uh, I, the four I came up with, uh, the first one is expansionistic. If the players want, if the players in the gym want to play a game where the players are just building their empire or their little mm -hmm. empire within the greater empire anyways. Sure. And it's all about how big you can build your resource space, how important you can make your characters and you're given experience based on how much you can get, um, mm -hmm. how much you can add to your empire. Uh, then I have kind of the more standard role-playing game story-driven where you get experience where there's some set story that the GM came up with and you get experience for kind of doing story objectives. Okay. Um, that's, that's pretty standard for role-playing games. Uh, then there's character-driven, which is a little less standard, but you still see it sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. Players don't get experience for um, accomplishing some set goal out in the world. What they do is when they make their character, they come up with some sort of ideology for that character, some okay. core belief that that character mm -hmm. has. And when that character advances that ideology, either in a small way or a large way, they get experience for that. Uh, they also get okay. experience for playing out their flaws. And I specified this, um, you get experience for playing out your flaws in ways that uh, hurt you. But if you play out your flaw and it only hurts other people, you don't get any experience for that. That's That seems bad. That, yeah, yeah. That seems really interesting about the whole idea of the kind of the ideology or the core thing for the character. In playtesting, what sort of ideas have players come up with for their characters around that? Uh, I haven't actually run with that sort of system. I usually use a story mm -hmm. structure. Okay. Uh, there was one, sorry, a fourth one. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Sorry. Uh, the Machiavellian, which is a lot like the expansionistic where you're building your empire. But mm-hmm. in that, you're probably deeper in the empire. And there's there's not places to expand your, your little resource base. So you've got to take things away from other people. And if they want to expand, they have to take things away from you. So it's a lot of... Okay. It's a lot more uh, diabolical. It's, it forces the players to uh, think more um, on the defense as well as the offense as far as like uh, building themselves. And you get a lot of experience for taking things away from people, and you lose it when people take things away from you. Um, and now I forgot uh, the question you asked me about the uh, story-driven. Um. Yeah, I was just wondering what sort of um, exam- examples of things people have used for their kind of character's ideology for, you know, when, they- when they're coming up with a different core belief for them for that for the third method you're talking about. I was just wondering if you had any fun examples of what people have done in gameplay or, or what you kind of have in mind for that. Uh, or I, haven't, it- I haven't played with that structure, so I haven't seen, mm-hmm. like, I've seen some interesting characters. People have come up with interesting characters, but since oh, yeah? they weren't getting rewarded for that, the the since we were playing with other systems, uh, mm-hmm. that wasn't uh, what the game was focused on, so I didn't see them necessarily realize. I'd say the most mm-hmm. interesting character I saw mm-hmm. uh, was somebody decided to play a, um, what's it, uh, a hag, like a, a witch. Okay, yeah. Baba Yaga, basically. A Baba Yaga yeah, knockoff. Nice, yeah, yeah. And their character was very much into family and their grandchildren, and kind mm-hmm. of they convinced all the other player characters to play relatives of themselves. And they were very into family, oh, nice. but in a very warped way. <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, no, that sounds really cool. I, I love that um, as the idea. The nice like family. I love a family dynamic, dynamic in an RPG anyway. But the idea of this uh, matriarch or um, hag type Baba Yaga character—that sounds very cool. I like that. Um, so speaking back into um, going into the world, we had somebody kind of ask about how you keep players engaged when it's very different systems. But on a more broader term, if somebody um, wants to run this kind of game and they're going to be the game master running this this you know running antagonist for the first time what advice or guidance would you give to them to approach running a campaign of this um so actually i assumed that that might be the case somebody might be dropping into this and never having played a role-playing game Uh, Mm -hmm. i created a very simplistic set of rules for just kind of pickup play okay and uh, I guess if you've never role-played, you can use those rules. They're very simple to learn. They're like two or three pages. Okay. And you can pick it up, invite some people to play with you, uh, just throw something together that you saw on TV that you kind of fits the theme of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Game of Thrones would be a good example. You know, you saw a scenario, yeah. you want to play it out differently, mm-hmm. want to see what your players do in that scenario use the quick pickup rules and just see if they're into it. And if they are, then you can expand and start playing like the full game. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, you uh, finish the characters basically since they're partially made already and keep going. Amazing. So you can have a little kind of taster session. Like, so if you want to do a one shot using those simple rules to see if, if you want, if it's your thing before committing to a campaign, 
that's really good to know. Um, so in terms of the game, so you talked about you know getting it to layout, uh, could writing it. So is the is this is the game finished now? Can if people are interested, can they buy a copy now? Or oh yeah, it's been out since August. Um, Amazing. And yeah, the uh, so the link there is where you order it, and it's available on PDF, or you can get the book. Which this is book. Oh, amazing! So you can get that on Drive Through RPG now. That's yeah. a very pretty book. Well. I wanted to show this off. You won't get to see this if you buy the RPG or the PDF. Mm -hmm. But um, the full cover art. Yeah, it's okay. all one picture of all two people around. playing chess with uh, a series of people on the chessboard. Kind Which of is setup. very much a lovely metaphor for the whole kind of game. Uh, great. So that is on Drive Through RPG. Um, so if that sounds at all interesting to anybody that's that's listened, um, you know, you can uh, check that out on Drive Through RPG. The links are in the show notes of the podcast, or I've just popped them in the chat if you're watching live. You can go take a look out there. Um, if people miss the live stream or they're listening on the podcast and have a question they want to ask you, where's a good place for them to get in touch to to learn more about the game? Uh there, the Facebook group is a good place. I check mm -hmm. that pretty frequently. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, um, that would be that would be the place. That would be the main place there. Excellent. And you have a really nice website as well, which is on antagonistrpg.com, which has links to kind of everything. So if you can't find something, if you go to antagonistrpg.com, that's got links to where you can buy it and to the group and everything like that. And it's nicely laid out there. Um which is fantastic to see. Um, is there anything else you want to brag about or share about the game? Uh, is there a question I've forgotten to ask you? Um, well, let's see. Oh, uh, so that I, that was actually uh, my my Cinderella reference right there, Dark Cinderella. But as far as the game goes, uh, the magic system, I, I know a lot of people are very concerned about the magic system. The magic system mm -hmm. is a little bit more... Uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales than okay. it is D&D uh, uh, &D oriented. A mm -hmm. lot of the spells do weird things um, that, you know, aren't directly uh, contributing towards some quest objective. Uh, like, for instance, this is a picture of an actual spell where you turn a pumpkin into a carriage. Uh, lifted okay. that directly from a fairy tale. And a lot sure. of those spells are lifted directly from fairy tales. Uh, spells can backfire. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually the backfire results are unique to every spell. So they're mm -hmm. always interesting. And they also kind of create an in-world reason why people would be superstitious. Because if you have mm -hmm. some novice sorcerer just learning how to do things, they're going to backfire. Their spells are going to backfire a lot. And mm -hmm. weird things are going to happen. Sounds great. It also seems very linked to the, the that those fey elements that are in the world and is grounded as well. So magic being of that sort of yeah superstitious you know mythical kind of uncontrollable natural force, opposed to being uh, I cast fireball. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, all about antagonist uh, with us. Um, I love the theme of the game. I love a good you know political combat and maneuvering sort of situations so definitely something uh, i was very interested in when you when you told me about the game um i do have uh before you go my final question to everybody is always uh, do you have any recommendations for role-playing games and the rules are it can't be dungeons and dragons and it can't be a game that, that you've written uh actually yeah um there's a game called earth dawn uh, maybe a lot of people have heard of it it's actually really old um i picked it up i think in the 90s it's still around 
Um, and I always loved that it was kind of a, there's, there's two games set in the same world and one's mm-hmm. Earthdawn and one's Shadowrun. One's a old fantasy game. The other's, you know, a cyberpunk game. They're set mm-hmm. in the same world. One's like thousands of years later and you get to kind of see, uh, Earthdawn is kind of the beginnings and mm-hmm. Shadowrun is kind of how this world ended up. So you get to kind of see both. Uh, and Earthdawn's a great system. It's kind of a, it's kind of a building dice structure where you start with a D4 if you're bad at something and you get a D6 or D12 as you get better, and then mm-hmm. you can go past that. Uh, but it's got an interesting world. It's it's very high magic. There's magic everywhere. There's airships. There's uh, all the characters can use magic. There's every single player class has some sort of magical ability. It's mm-hmm. very high fantasy uh, as a, and it just went hard into high fantasy. And it was one of the first games mm-hmm. that had done that. This is before, um, what's that? War, um, For Warhammer Fantasy. Well, not Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, the World of Darkness kind of made a oh, okay. um, fantasy game. I can't remember what it was. They, they did oh, the same thing. But you're this testing was years me now. before that. Someone's listening to the podcast screaming at us right now. <laughs> but yeah. You're, you play literally gods in that one. But Earthdawn okay. is kind of the felt like the predecessor to that where you're playing these really high fantasy characters in this world that's just coming back from the brink of destruction amazing well thank you so much for that recommendation i have to check that out if you haven't already um i think that brings us to the end of our time this week so james thank you so much for coming on and sharing your game with us um as i mentioned before you can check out antagonist on drive through rpg or on the website there um because the best way to support indie tabletop rpg creators is to buy their stuff um but that's all from us this week uh so again thank you james and thank you everybody that's watched and listened that's all for this week thank you very much bye thank you very much Thank you.